Father, we pray that you would help us tonight to hear and to understand and to obey your word. We pray, Father, that you would give us your joy, which is our strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you know the name Mary Kondo. Anyone heard of Mary Kondo? No? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she is a professional decluttering advisor who has written books on how to uh, tidy up your home and how to declutter uh, any space in your home. Uh, she recently launched a new TV series on Netflix uh, where she goes in uh, to people's homes to help them with the process of decluttering. So you can imagine a, a house you know, that's coming down with stuff and she goes in to help them uh, tidy it up and, and clear some of it out. Now I'm not entirely sure that I would buy into everything that she advises because she says that you should keep no more than 30 books. And I'm thinking 30 books on a shelf. <laughs> I must have about 3,000 books in the study. Um, so I don't know quite how that would go. Um, but when it comes to decluttering, here's the question that she uses to help her clients decide whether to keep something or to throw it away. And the question is this, does it spark joy in you? Does it spark joy the reason that I mention uh, Mary Kondo tonight is because that's the very question that we're asking. Does it spark joy? You see, in our reading tonight from Nehemiah, and it would be good to have it open in front of you, page 492 in the Bible. In our reading tonight, we come to what is probably the best known line from the whole book of Nehemiah. If you weren't able to think of much else of what Nehemiah does or says, there's a fair chance that you know this line or you've heard this line before. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It appears in modern Christian songs. It is quoted in lots of Christian books and it's often seen in social media posts. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But what does it mean? What did it mean when Nehemiah said it? And what might it mean for us here tonight in Rich Hill? Last week at Cafe Church, we were looking at happiness and how to be happy. And we saw how happiness depends on what happens. It can go up and down, whereas joy is that Christian virtue, that fruit of the Holy Spirit that continues to bear us up no matter what our circumstances are. A kind of residual level of joy that's there. It's a, a, a settled contentedness that comes from knowing the Lord. But to ask 
Marie Kondo's question in a slightly different way. What is it that sparks this joy? How do we get this sort of joy in the first place? Well, the answer that Nehemiah chapter 8 gives us may not sound like the most exciting answer. It might sound a, a wee bit boring, a wee bit predictable, a wee bit unexciting. But it's the answer that Nehemiah gives and the whole Bible confirms that the joy of the Lord comes from hearing and understanding and obeying God's word. And you might think to yourself, of course the rector's going to say that. But that's what Nehemiah chapter 8 will show us. But don't think that it's routine. It's far from routine. It is revolutionary. It was for the people of Nehemiah's day. And it will be for us as well if we really hear and understand and obey what God is saying. Our reading tonight in Nehemiah chapter 8 describes a most remarkable week in the life of the city of Jerusalem. Through the whole book, we've been watching as Nehemiah hears the report of the city when some of the people have returned from exile. They've gone back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land, but it's all a mess. The people are in great trouble and disgrace. And the city walls had been broken down and the gates burned. A real mess. So Nehemiah, he set out to build up the walls and then to build up the people. His first task, that of building up the walls, was completed. So then he started to set about building up the people again. And to do that, a great assembly is called on the first day of the seventh month. Verse 1. Look at that with me. It says, All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. Everyone is gathered there. They're gathered together for just one purpose. The rest of verse 1 says, They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. The people ask Ezra to bring out the book of the law. Their desire is to have the first five books of the Old Testament read aloud to them, the books of Moses, the book of the law of Moses. They want to hear God's word. You see, in those days, not everyone would have been able to read in the first place. And very few would have had a copy of the scriptures, maybe just the priests. Certainly not the easy access that we have these days where, you know, you have, I don't know how many Bibles in your home and maybe even on your, your phone. You have the whole Bible in a smartphone app on your phone. They wanted to hear 
God's work. And that's what Ezra gives to them. The assembly gathers men and women and all who were able to understand in order to hear Ezra read for hours and hours from God's word. Did you notice how long the reading was? It was longer than the 73 verses we read a fortnight ago. From daybreak until noon. Now I did a wee bit of research just to see how long that actually is. So at the seventh month is, is our kind of September, October time. And daybreak in September comes in Jerusalem between about 6.15am and 6.30am. So from daybreak until noon is at least five hours of a Bible reading. And it says at the end of verse 3, And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Verse 4 and onwards tell us a bit more about the practical details of how it was all worked out. There's a high wooden platform built for the occasion so that Ezra can be seen and heard. And the other priests with the unpronounceable names in verse 4 are on either side of him. Verses 5 and 6 tell us about the liturgical details, each of which show how the word is honoured and respected. So earlier on in the service you stood uh, for the gospel reading. You said the response is glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here in verse 5, when Ezra opens the book, the people stand up. As Ezra praises God, the people lift their hands and respond with Amen. Amen. Then they bow down and worship God. The Levites also have their part to play. They seem to be maybe in and among the crowd instructing the people in the law. They're reading from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. And in a sense, that's what we're doing here. And what we seek to do in every in every sermon, every service, in every Bible study, to read and then explain and apply God's word so that it's clear, so that the meaning is given, so that everyone can understand it. That's why it's good to have your Bible open in front of you as we work through the passage so that you can see that what I'm saying is what the Bible says that I haven't gone off on some weird tangent somewhere. In verse 9, we see the conclusion of the day's events. The reading and explaining has been finished. So what is it then that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites say? They say, verse 9, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
They say this is a holy day, a, a, a sacred day, and so they say not to mourn or weep. Why do they say this? Because that's what the people are doing. They're weeping. Verse 9 continues, For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why were they weeping? On such an important day, why were they weeping and crying as they heard God's word read? Well, they were weeping because they heard what God demanded of them. As they heard what the law said, they wept because they realized how far short of God's standard they had come. At high school, I wasn't terribly athletic. Now, I hope that doesn't come as a shock to anyone. But there was one particular aspect of PE that I really detested. And it was the high jump. Anyone? Any good at the high jump? No, I I failed miserably. The, the, The bar was set, no matter where it was. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get over it. You know, you, you do your run-up, you, you try the, is it the Fosbury flop or something, where you, you go backways over it, and I try to go forward or backways, it wouldn't matter, I couldn't get over it. And the law sets a standard, but no one could keep it. And so the people weep and mourn. They're aware of their feelings. But notice what Nehemiah also says as he says at those famous words of his. Verse 10. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you see the contrast there? He says, do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The people think that they need to fast and grieve. And perhaps they should. But instead, Nehemiah says that the Lord gives joy. That there's joy in hearing God's word. That this day is special, that it should be kept with feasting because they have heard God's word. This joy is something that only God can give. And it gives us strength for all that he calls us to do in response to God's word. And after the Levites have said the same and they've calmed at the people, we see the effect in verse 12. It says, then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They go to feast. They go to share so that others can feast because they celebrate with great joy. And why do they have this great joy? 
because they understood God's word. Is there a danger that we're so familiar with the Bible that we think that we know it all already? Have we lost this joy, this amazing thrill of hearing and understanding God's word? Do you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? The two of them as they walked along. They were feeling downcast, confused. They, They didn't know what was going on. But their hearts burned within them as Jesus explained the scriptures to them. I wonder have we ever had that good type of heartburn as we've heard and really grasped what God is saying to us. Now all that happened on day one Don't worry, the other days will be shorter. On day two, verse 13, it's a smaller gathering who are back for more Bible study. It's not the whole assembly this time. It's the heads of all the families along with the priests and the Levites who gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. The leaders of the people are there to study the Bible. And as they read and study, they discover that God had commanded a special feast to be kept in that very month, on those very days. The Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, as it might be sometimes found in the Bible, was to remind the Israelites of how their ancestors had lived in tents during the wilderness years on their way to the Promised Land. It was a reminder of God's faithfulness and God's kindness to them through those 40 years of wandering. And so straight away, they hear and respond to God's word. They obey it. And they send out the word to everyone to come with branches, to make booths, to stay in for the week of the feast. Imagine if you had to go to your garden or to the park and cut off a few branches of trees to build yourself a shelter and then we all camped out in the square. That's what happened here. It's what God had commanded. And so everyone built their shelter either on the rooftop or in their courtyard or in the temple courts or in the city squares. And they lived in it for the feast. It hadn't been seen nor experienced in such a long time. In fact, as Nehemiah says, not since the days of Joshua, son of Nun, when Israel first entered the promised land. He says, verse 17, that the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And what happens when they do? The very end of verse 17. And their joy was very great. Joy again. And so for uh, the whole seven days of the feast, Ezra reads from the book of the law of God. 
There is joy, Nehemiah tells us, in hearing and understanding and obeying God's word. Yet as we've said, as we know all too well, we can't keep the law of God. The standard is too high. It would be like trying to high jump over a pole vault height. You know when they have the big long pole and they run up and then it kind of bends and gets them over. Well, imagine trying to high jump over that. It'd be impossible. None of us can do it. But that's why Jesus came into the world. He came, as he says in Matthew 5, to fulfill the demands of the law. He perfectly obeyed every command on our behalf and then took the punishment of the lawbreaker. And why did he do it? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame that sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was focused on the joy that was set before him as he suffered on the cross. And in Jesus we are offered the joy of the Lord to strengthen us. He gives us his joy so that it is just as if I had never sinned but had perfectly obeyed the word of the Lord. Tonight we're invited to share in the meal that celebrates Jesus' victory on the cross. In bread and wine, we marvel at his grace that takes us lawbreakers and makes us law keepers. Finding Jesus, your sins forgiven, and receive his perfect righteousness, and then rise from the table, determined to grow in the joy of the Lord, to find strength for the journey as you hear and understand and obey God's word. Perhaps Marie Kondo's question does make sense. Other possessions, even other books, may or may not do it for us. But above all, as we take up our Bible, may we know for sure that it sparks joy in our minds and our hearts and our lives. Because it is God speaking to us, calling us to follow and obey. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. May that be so for each of us tonight. Amen.